Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hi, and welcome to You Need Therapy. I am the host, Kat, and if you're new here, I'm so excited that you're here, finally. And if you're not, obviously very glad that you're back. So I have been talking about exciting news, and it's finally here. The time is now. I announced last week, actually, on Instagram. If you don't follow me, you can follow me at at cat.defata. Defata is D-E-F-A-T-T-A. But anyway, so I announced that You Need Therapy, the podcast has joined the Amy Brown Network with iHeartRadio. I also released a new podcast trailer to Instagram and it's up on wherever you're listening to this to from as well. If you want to go check that out, it's really fun and cute and I'm very proud of it. Now, I met Amy when I was a guest on her Outweigh series back in March, which was a four-part series that she did with registered dietitian Lisa Haim on disordered eating. And since then, we've been able to stay connected and not only has she become a friend that I love and appreciate so much, she has graciously opened up a space for more people to hear this podcast, which is awesome because I want everybody to have access to the conversations we have on here. If you don't know Amy, she is amazing. She is a co-host of the Bobby Bones radio show, and she also has her own podcast called Four Things with Amy Brown. Amy is someone who harps on gratitude as part of her platform and part of who she authentically is. And I am beyond grateful to have been asked to be a part of something she's creating. Like, I feel like there aren't words that express how excited and grateful I am. So Amy, thank you again. I'll probably keep thanking you. You're truly out here trying to help people be the best they can and make the world a better place. And you do a very, very good job at that. 
The network currently has three shows. You Need Therapy is one of them. Outweigh is actually, this is huge. They took this four-part series and now it's its own podcast that will come out weekly. So Outweigh is on it. And then a show who is hosted by Lisa called Your Truthiest Life, which I am so excited to check out as well. If you like this podcast, you will like all of those, I promise. You can follow Amy at at Radio Amy. You can follow Lisa at at Lisa Hain. And you can follow this podcast at at you need therapy podcast all on Instagram. I also just want to say thank you to all of the people who have been with me since day one. I remember starting this podcast in my living room on my couch, trying to figure out how to like edit or upload or like even turn my computer on. And um, I've had so many friends along the way jump in and pitch in and give me their advice and help walk me through something that I really didn't know what I was doing. And then the response has been amazing. I figured some of my clients and some of my family and friends would listen to this, but I never imagined it would grow to be what it is. And I can't wait for it to grow more and for us to create a bigger community doing what I started this for, to create more meaningful conversations outside of therapy rooms. As for today, I have an episode I've been waiting for y'all to hear for a really long time. I wanted this to be the first episode released on the network because it just was so good to me and I think it's something that I want to be able to reach so many people with. My guest is named Aubrey Henderson and she actually graduated from the same master's program I graduated from at Vanderbilt, but just one year below me. Now, since she has moved to New York City and started her own business as a self-worth coach who helps women and LGBTQ folks befriend their inner critic, break up with people pleasing, and reclaim all of their desires. She calls herself a recovering people pleaser and a codependent and is very passionate about using her background in counseling, 12-step recovery, and leadership development to help others work towards their goals. You're going to love feeling her energy and gaining all of her wisdom today as she talks to us specifically about how to befriend your inner critic. You can follow her at Aubrey, um, which I love. It's A with four H's, B-R-E-E. And you can check her out online at AubreyHenderson.com. Now, here is my conversation with Aubrey. So what I need to know is like, what is your life? You're living in New York and yeah, you I'm graduated in, right under me, right? Like the year after you. What is going on in the world in New York? Yeah. So I live in New York. I'm here with my wife and we're foster parents. So we have three kiddos and I've been coaching now for about a year and a half and have had the podcast for about a year and I actually just quit my day job to do this full time and also to have space to be like remote learning super mom for my children Ah. that's been a big exciting change but yeah I'm doing so I'm like just really focused on coaching I've been doing mostly one-on-one coaching but it's all I mean you know to some extent like from Instagram it's my kind of umbrella area is self-worth. That's where I do most of my work with folks. And so a lot of that is one-on-one coaching, whether it's, you know, literally people like I, my self-worth is totally crap and I need help, you know, rebuilding that or whether it's like, Hey, I'm struggling with my job search because I don't know what I want to do or like, I don't feel confident or whatever. And so helping them build that around a project, that is me. I guess the other big project that I'm working on right now is I'm co-authoring a book about people pleasing with another coach who's in Vancouver. That's exciting. So I think I remember 
you moved to New York for a job with, was it Planned Parenthood? Did I make that up? I did apply for a job at Planned Parenthood. I didn't end up coming for that job, but I did. I I applied for the job at Planned Parenthood. I moved, if we're totally honest, the reason I moved was to follow a girl. Thankfully, she ended up marrying me, so that worked out well. So you would recommend? I would highly, (laughs) highly recommend that. No, it was really, it was a, a wild and crazy thing to do. But yes, I moved to New York to follow Laura, and then I happened into, and like, you know, after finishing our grad program kind of was like, okay, I need to press pause. I don't know if I'm in the place in my life where I can like do the helping profession thing right now yet. And so I didn't, I went into nonprofit, worked in like leadership development, um, nonprofit management for about five years. And toward the end of that was like, man, I really miss like one-on-one work with people. Like I enjoy the leadership development stuff. I enjoy the like coaching element of managing people, but I really would like to be working one-on-one with people again. And that's when I sort of discovered the realm of coaching, which is something I kind of had always been like, what the hell is coaching? I feel like life coach is like something that people call themselves when they wish they could be a therapist, but don't want to go to school for it kind of thing, which to be clear, I think some coaches do that. (laughs) But then as I like looked more into it, what I want to do is not therapy. It's not like giving mental health treatment to people. It's not that statement. It's not like delving into trauma. But what I do want to do is work with people one-on-one, support them toward meeting goals and, you know, help them build their confidence. And so, yeah, I started coaching part-time kind of on the side as a fun thing, started the podcast because I was like, why the hell not? Let's start a podcast. And it's sort of grown over time and I love. Well, I was going to ask because for the people listening, we both went to a counseling program to be a counselor or a therapist, whatever you want to call it. I think in my cohort, there's like three of us that are actually therapists. Yeah, no, a lot of, yes. In mine, there might be more than three, but like a good chunk of us went into different, all into realms where we're working with people. Because I think if you feel called to go into a graduate program for counseling, there's some part of you that's like, I want to help people. Right. But yeah, a lot, a lot of folks took it kind of in different routes, which I think is pretty cool. It was really interesting. Yeah. (laughs) At that moment in my life, and this is interesting because it really feeds into like my journey of how I have come to coach around self-worth is that in that moment when I was in that grad program, when I was in my internship, also my personal life was like an absolute shit show. Like my personal life was really in like a bad place. And I was in a relationship with someone who was active in their addiction, Mm -hmm. who was really struggling and where I was highly codependent with them and was in an unhealthy place. And so at that same time, I was realizing like, oh my God, I, you know, am in this space where I'm working with folks who are struggling with the same things that I'm having a hard time with in my personal life. And like the boundaries are so fluid. And thankfully, you know, I was with a supervisor who was amazing and who was like helping me figure out what those boundaries were. But I was like, okay, so at this moment in my life, I cannot do this work. So many people wouldn't have the wherewithal to be able to separate of like, this might not be the spot for me to go like help people. I'm struggling with this and I need help. Yeah, no, absolutely. A certain level of, I mean, humility too. And it was hard. I mean, like it was the moment in time. And I mean, it was like a big, that whole year, because I think that was kind of early in a year where I then was out of that relationship, was not with anyone for a while. And then I eventually met my, who is now the person who is now my wife. Mm -hmm. And towards the end of that year, you know, we like made some like big choices to like move to New York. And I decided like, okay, like counseling is not what I want to do right now, which I had like grown up. I don't know about you, but like from the time I was in like sixth or seventh grade, I was like, I'm going to be a therapist. Like, that's what I'm going to do. Like, I know for sure. 
And so that to then, you know, be an adult finishing grad school and be like, never mind. Like the thing I thought was the thing I was born to do and that I like went into college, like studying psychology and then like went to grad school for counseling. I was like, this is what I'm doing. To then have that kind of identity moment of like, okay, I'm not going to do that thing, at least not right now. So like, what is the thing? It was a hard season. It did not feel good. What was that like for you? Like, how did you cope with identity crisis? That's what that I would call that. Yeah, I mean, it was really hard. I think the interesting thing, right, about moving to a new city, we were in Nashville, which I love Nashville. I still do. I wasn't like, I loved it. Like, I still love it and I miss it. But we first moved to New York and like every day for a year, I said to my wife, who wasn't yet my wife, but I said to her, like, if I hate it here, we can move back, right? And it was because, you know, I hadn't found a job yet. I hadn't found community yet. That was the part that I think for me, I'm, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm an extrovert, but I'm somebody who like really, and I think all humans do to some extent, like I thrive in community and I needed to feel like rooted and grounded in the place that I was. And I think like over time, I was able to find my community through my workplace. I was able to find community through like we found a church that we loved and we got really involved in. And so once I was able to build that, I felt and now feel really at home here. This is the place I've lived now the longest as an adult, you know. I haven't lived any place this long except for where I grew up. But it kind of taught me too this piece of like, I can really feel like I belong anywhere if I have a sense of community. You could like drop me in the middle of like rural Wyoming right. where I know nobody. And I feel like if I can get plugged in and connected to the right community, and I think some of that is me too as like a person who sources a lot of who I am in how I help others and how I connect with others and how I care for others, which is something to be careful with, but also something that I think is a gift. I mean, bringing this all together, I imagine, because I know for me, it's when I get in spaces that are new, I can have this like, which I've tried to like really make this voice very different than mine, but have some like really unkind, mean, not like comfortable thoughts creep in and tell me like, you made a mistake. What are you doing? And so I imagine in this space that started to creep in, which one, I want to know what you did with that. And then two, I want to know how much of a blessing that really is because you're using that experience to help and coach the people that you're working with. Because I think a lot of times it's like, now I struggle with saying this because sometimes I don't think it applies, but it is very helpful to have somebody help walk you through a stage of life or a part of life or a feeling you're having. If that person who's walking you has been like, Hey, I've actually walked down this So I know that that this path like leads to somewhere. And so I want to know kind of like what that looked like for you inner critic wise and like how you dealt with it and then how you shape and move people you're working with to move through those voices. Yeah, no, those are great questions. And I think, you know, I'm somebody who I very much think of myself as a recovering blank a lot of things. And I I use like recovering people pleaser is a big one for me, because I don't think I, I ever like solve being a people pleaser. I think a lot of that is like my baseline. And I am always kind of recovering from that. And some of that is a takeaway from, you know, being in the 12 step world for so long is there you're always in recovery. But I'm also someone who's a recovering perfectionist, recovering kind of like overachiever, I was always that kid who like really wanted to like do the right thing and make my parents proud and like be the top of the class and all of those things. And so when you go through life and you're kind of like doing like the next thing, like I went to college and then right after college, I went to grad school and I like reached the end of that. And I'm like, oh shit, I don't know what the next thing is. Or like I'm doing the wrong next thing because the right next thing would be to like go into a counseling job. Right. And so I definitely had those inner critic moments for sure of like, and my inner critic is, 
is nasty. Let me tell you, you're a failure. You have failed. Everyone has seen you fail because everyone knows that you planned on being a therapist this whole time and now you're not. And so there's that voice that is telling you, you know, you're a failure, there's something wrong with you. And I think a lot of the advice that we hear around that, right, is to like, just ignore it, or just be like, that that voice in your head is kind of an asshole. And like, you just need to ignore them or like learn to tune them out or make it go away. I have clients I work with around this. I actually had a client say to me, like in one of our early sessions and like setting goals for coaching, she was like, I want to get rid of my inner critic. And I was like, (laughs) we're not going to do that. I hear you and like, yes, we will work on it. Absolutely. And like, yes, I hear that your inner critic is distressing to you and you, you don't want to continue to go on the way you have, but like, I actually don't think you can get rid of an inner critic and I don't think you should. And I think the, you know, the way I think about it is a little bit unconventional, but I think our inner critic is not something that one, you can ever realistically get rid of. So to say like, push it out of your mind, ignore it, get rid of it is setting you up to then fail and then have your inner critic tell you more that you're a failure. (laughs) So why would we do that? And also to me, an inner critic represents not like some other person's voice in your head necessarily. Your inner critic is a part of you that is wounded. Your inner critic is a version of yourself when you were at your most vulnerable or in your most kind of deep level of pain. So for me, my inner critic telling me I'm a failure is a version of me when I've let people down and failed and felt that feeling. And it's that version of me speaking to me now saying, let's not do this again. Mm-hmm. Like, Aubrey, we've been here and it felt bad. Let's not do this again. Now it's saying it in a nasty kind of mean way to get my attention. But it's actually what it's trying to do when you think about it is adaptive. It's trying to help me. And so the response to that is not to just ignore it, especially if we're regarding it as, I mean, it's kind of like relates back to like doing inner child work. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a part of you. And so the orientation then to that becomes not push it away or ignore it or dismiss it, but instead to be regarding it with compassion and recognizing that it's a part of you that wants to protect you. That mindset shift is really hard. Like it's hard to have compassion to a person who's not kind to you, you know, outside of yourself. And self-compassion, I think, is harder than any kind of compassion. So that's something that, you know, I had to do a lot of work with myself that there's a lot of work I have to do with clients around is that sense of self-compassion and particularly when there's a part of your mind that's repeating unkind things to you. But I think over time, as you can shift that mindset, then what you can start to do is hear those inner critic thoughts as like, it's kind of like when you hear a person who's like saying nasty things to you, but you know that they're saying it because they're so insecure about themselves that you can eventually move to a place of like, oh, bless their heart. Like they're like- you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking of like, I don't even know if it's going to make sense, but when you explain it that way, which one, I love that perspective. And it's probably, I imagine a little jarring for somebody to sit and be like, wait, what? I'm not going to, you're not going to help me get rid of that. I'm not, this is not what I'm paying you for. (laughs) But it's also like, oh, okay. Because nothing I have ever tried has worked. So maybe let's try this. But I'm kind of imagining the idea of this critic really being a protective is like when you're a teenager and your mom's like, you can't do this. You can't do that. You're grounded. You're doing this. Like stay in your room. Give me a key to your car. It's like, yeah, mom, I hate you. It's probably what I would have said in high school but really it's like mom is scared and trying to protect me because I keep acting out and doing things that are going to lead me down a dangerous path yes absolutely absolutely hey guys Kat here and I have something 
very important to talk to you guys about. Now, I know you're used to hearing me talk about therapy and how important it can be for you and how transformative it can be for you in your life. But if you're somebody who's tried therapy and it just hasn't done the trick, or you just need a little extra boost, I think I've found the next best thing. And the next best thing might just be Cozy Earth and their bamboo sheets and their bamboo pajamas. It feels like you are stepping into a buttery, cozy, warm, and cool hug all at the same time. And that's just their pajamas. Don't even get me started on their sheets. As soon as I touched them, I said, okay, we're changing the sheets right now. And the bonus is they come in this really cute travel tote so you can take your sheets with you wherever you go. Elevate your summer getaway with Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding and loungewear, ensuring the comfort of home wherever you roam. We're all in luck because you can discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. Visit CozyEarth.com and use our code UNEED at checkout to get 35% off. Yes, 35% off. And let them know that we sent you You Need Therapy after you check out. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX Anniversary Sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. I think a, a really big tool, I was using this in a med- meditation the other day that I did with a group of folks, is cultivating self-compassion by viewing different parts of yourself that maybe you struggle with or that are, you know, behaviors that are bad or like, I read something the other day that was like every problem with who you are is something you developed over time to protect yourself. Everything that we view as, as in fact, you may have even posted that, like that very much may have been something that like you shared in your, in well, I'm your with story. You, so. <laughs> but like every piece of yourself that shows up as being like something that's challenging, something that's causing you distress, something that you want to work on. We've developed all of our behaviors in response to something in our lives. And a lot of the time, these things are things we developed as little kids. And so in a meditation, in cultivating self-compassion, I was having folks, you know, like if you're having trouble feeling loving kindness and compassion towards yourself, imagine yourself as a four-year-old. It's like, imagine four-year-old you sitting in front of you right now. The things that we say to ourselves and the ways that we treat ourselves, we would never say those things to four-year-old us, but four-year-old us 
throwing a tantrum might say some like really ridiculous stuff because it's a four-year-old not able to manage their emotions, responding out of fear or distress or an unmet need. And that's what the inner critic is. It's, and it's not necessarily four years old. My inner critic is probably like 13, 14, like the height of me, like being like, I feel ugly. I feel like I don't like my body. I feel like all of my friends are smarter than me. I feel like my parents will never be proud of me. I feel like I'm not talented. Like it's all fear. Uh, I love from a place of fear. I love asking like, what age is your inner critic? I've never asked that, but because now I'm thinking, I'm like, my inner critic is like 17 years old, thinking everybody hates her and nobody wants to be her friend. Like, I love that. that. Powerful. And that also makes me feel like really, (laughs) that makes me feel sad. And you know what, the the whole idea of, and this is why you're probably such a good coach. You do have the therapy background. I've always looked at that as my like trauma response a lot is like the 17 year old girl coming up or the nine year old girl who got picked on or whatever. But it's like, oh, that same wounded girl, if we also tell ourselves or marry that with the critic. I always say that in the wounded parts of us, like kind of scratch at the inside of our bodies and they're like, pay attention to me, pay attention to me. That's what the critic is doing. All of this is coming together for me. (laughs) Absolutely. We can get so frustrated with ourselves for like, oh, I wish I didn't have this inner critic. Wish I wasn't so hard on myself. And then we're hard on ourselves for being hard on ourselves. Yeah. When really it's like, if we can make that mindset shift of, okay, the reasons that these behaviors are showing up for me or these thoughts or whatever they are. I learned this somewhere and the way I'm showing up in the world are ways that I have learned to cope to survive in the conditions around me. And now we're in a place where those strategies are no longer working for me. The inner critic voice telling me I'm a failure isn't working for me anymore. Maybe it, maybe that pushed me all the way through my teenage years and I was able to do well in school and whatever, but like now as an adult, it's not working. I need something different. You can't then just totally reject that part of yourself and expect that that's going to work. It's something that requires compassion and kind of that loving orientation because then what I ask people to do it starts to get really wacky because I'm somebody who like I talk to myself I speak out loud to myself in the world all the time just like I'll be you know in my kitchen and like making something and having a conversation with myself or in the morning I will literally say to myself okay Aubrey it's time to get up you know what it's It's so funny my um my roommate the other day started laughing and I was like what and she was like I love that you literally walk Walk around the house talking to yourself because I'm like Catherine why did you do that Catherine you need to make some coffee Catherine you forgot and she's like you yes. literally speak out loud and sometimes it comes out in a song but most yes. of the time, no I'm always verbalizing so we are the same in that Yes. Well, then this strategy won't feel as much of a stretch to you. And it does to some people, but I, so I, I do this speaking out loud. Like I literally do this out loud. Some people will have like the internal monologue, which I think can be helpful too. And some people like to write, which is also fine. But basically what I suggest that people do is to talk back when the inner critic is speaking to them. So literally, and some people are like, well, I do. Like, I like think like, oh, that's, you know, that's not true or whatever. But it's not enough, I think, to just like think it. It's about having an intentional conversation. And really, if you're viewing it as an internal part of you, then you need to have a conversation with that version of yourself. 
And if it helps, you can literally imagine, like for you, you can imagine sitting across from 17 year old you, what would you say? I think about, you know, I have younger sisters who were not that long ago, they were 13 and 14. They were the same age. They're struggling with a lot of the same things that my inner critic voice is coming from. And I imagine that, you know, if I was having a conversation with them, what would that look like? So if I'm having a conversation with 13 year old me and she's like, dude, you're a failure and everybody thinks that you're a failure and they hate you. My response would probably be to laugh a little bit if somebody's actually saying that to me. And then to say, but like, why would you think that? Like literally to ask the question and then it's forcing yourself to answer Mm -hmm. and see what the back and forth feels like and to have that be like an actual conversation that plays out. And for some people, like I said, it helps to write it down, but making that your habit of like not just letting those thoughts exist Mm -hmm. unopposed, but to have a conversation. Yeah. And I think that the important part in that sentence is like not to let them exist unopposed. Like they just get to win every time. It's like, you have the thought and it's true and it's there. And that's what we're going to go with. But it's like, well, why don't we become curious about the thought? If what's the evidence, what's that like actually almost like making the critic will prove it to me. Yeah, exactly. This is a thing I will say in my real life that I feel like a big nerd when I say it, but like, I'll I'll literally ask like, okay, what is the data to support that conclusion? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What? Okay. Back it up. Like, what is the, what, the information that we can use to support this conclusion of you're a failure and everybody hates you. There isn't any, there is no evidence. And so it's taking that step back or it's like you failed at this thing. It might be a true statement, fun, a nasty way. Mm-hmm. So then the question becomes, okay, so what if that's true? What does that mean about me? And like having a real, a real conversation to just dig further into it. So like not, yeah. not let it just hang there and become your internal monologue or become the thing that like really like stamps itself into your brain, but instead having the conversation happen because I think the conversation is healthy. If you come from the stance of, I love the data thing. I will say sometimes that is so helpful and I'll have clients come and be like, I heard you asking me when I wasn't even in your office, what's the data to support it? And I couldn't come up with them. But then sometimes (laughs) they'll be like, and I have some data. And I was like, yeah. And where is that data coming from? And a lot of times it's rooted in our trauma, rooted in making a why, because we like to figure things out out of something that actually isn't true. So our data is not even true. Everybody leaves me because something happened when we were 11 or 12 or God knows what, what age, but were they really leaving you or were they leaving something else? Were they leaving themselves? But we don't have the wherewithal to actually pick that apart when we're 11 years old. We just are like, but the other part I was going to say is I wonder in the befriending part, how have you seen it be helpful in your life for clients when we come from a place of you're trying to help me? Like if my critic is coming up, okay, if I come from this as like a friend trying to help me, like they're being nasty because they're looking out for me or they're doing this. Where does the like, oh, thank you for pointing that out come in? Some of it is in in your approach to the conversation that you have with the inner critic. So like, for example, like, let's say I'm somebody who's been through some terrible breakups and I'm ready to date again. And I am talking to a person that I'm really, I like, and I'm really excited about them. And my inner critic is saying like, don't be needy. Don't be clingy. They're never going to be into you. Like, just fucking forget it. Like, it's not. So you could say, oh, you're right. Forget it. Like, I just shouldn't get invested. And like, let me not show that I care about the person. And then the whole thing falls apart, right? Which is not absolutely not what I'm advising to do. (laughs) I think 
<laughs> but I think then it becomes, okay, so if, if I'm going to approach this as I would like with a friend, like if you and I were talking and you were like, I don't know, I don't think that that person's ever going to be into you. I would be like, why? Yeah. Why not? But literally responding in the way you would respond if the person outside of you is saying that. I mean, why do you, why do you think that? Why do you think they wouldn't be into me? Oh, you don't have like an actual reason? Oh, because other people have, it hasn't worked out with other people? Okay, but it could work out with this person. Like, what are we afraid of? I ask myself that one often and I ask clients that all the time. My clients don't love it because it's a hard question, but I ask a lot like, okay, what's the fear? Like, what if that happens? What if this person isn't into you? What if it happens? What if you show this person that you like them and they don't like you back? Mm-hmm. Your quotes. Yeah. What's the fear underneath that? And it's ultimately, it's what are you making that mean about you? What am I making it mean about me if this thing is true? And it's like a peeling back layers. It's asking questions to peel back layers because at the core of it, if we think about the inner critic as, as this like friendly entity that's trying to protect us, but just doing it in a misguided kind of wonky way, it's trying to protect us from something. So we're trying to get at what it's trying to protect us from and understand that. Like it's trying to like, be like, Hey, don't cross the street. You're going to get hit by a bus. But it's like, well, there actually is no bus. (laughs) And and I like love the idea of pulling the fear into it because fear is one of my favorite emotions because it usually pops up when something is really important to us. We don't get scared if we don't care, essentially. Like I've never been scared about something I don't care about. And so- Okay, well, if that inner critic is like showing you that you're afraid, then it's also showing you that you care about something. So it can yeah. also be like an alarm of like, hey, this is important to you. Hey, this is important to you. I want you to know that. So yeah. we, we can assign like, oh, when the critic pops up, it's because something's important. Oh, okay. Well, now that helps me find my values because that is very hard for people to figure out. Oh my God, absolutely. And I think with a lot of my clients too, because there's often, you know, when we're working in self-worth and especially I work with a lot of folks who would self-identify as being people pleasers, there is this way that I consider myself to be among this group as well. There is a way that we focus so much on what other people want, what other people need, what makes them happy that we then completely disconnect from what matters to us. And so when someone's really deep in people pleasing or in codependency, even there is this sense, like you can ask somebody like, well, you know, what's important to you or, you know, what do you want to do today or whatever? And they will literally answer about what someone else wants to do because the sense of your own desires and needs and emotions is just so you so detached from it. And I think that's something that comes up here. So there's a, you know, there's a way that the inner, this inner critic work and this befriending of the inner critic that helps you reconnect with the emotion that's under there mm-hmm. instead of just having it live in the thought, like the critical thought of you're a failure, you're this, you're that. It's then digging into, okay, where's that coming from? What's this trying to stop me from doing? And why am I afraid of doing that thing? Is it because it's bringing up something traumatic for me? Is it because it's crossing a boundary? Is it because I really, really want this and I'm scared to want something Mm -hmm. because I'm scared of being disappointed? It's giving you clues exactly what you're saying about like about what you value and that's triggering something I love that idea that fear kind of gives you clues about what's important to you there was a Tim I think it was a Tim Ferriss podcast with Vince Vaughn I've probably referenced this a million times because I love it but apparently Vince Vaughn had a tv show called fearless I never ever I never heard of it until he was talking about it but (laughs) I think that like Tim Ferriss had asked him like what are you afraid of or what do you think people are afraid of I don't know what the question was but 
he said, he was like, I think that people, the woods around what we're afraid of is scarier than actually the fear. Mm. And I love staying with the idea of like a breakup of like all the stuff we put up around being rejected is way bigger than like, I've been rejected and it's hurt and it's been hard. And then I've moved on eventually. Like I get over it. I've gotten over it every single time. But I put these trees and these blockers and all this stuff and create this forest around being rejected when like rejected is actually a part of life. It just is just like stubbing your toe. It's like, and I wish it wasn't, but I, you get rejected a million different ways every single week based on how our world works these days. And so we, we can get through that, but we create this like whole forest around it. And I love that. So I used to do this exercise when I ran some groups at an IOP here in Nashville and I would have them draw that out. Like I would give them a big piece of paper and I'm like, I want you to draw your fear. And then I want you to draw the woods around the fear. And it was like, they would go for days and I'm like, okay, time's up. And they're like, we're not done. And I'm like, you've had an hour. (laughs) Like Really? Like you are making that much stuff up, up about this one little thing. And usually they'd get done and they're like, yeah, it's not even the fear. It's the story and that story and that story and that story and that story. So I love that. And I totally want to borrow that analogy. Like, because I think it's so true. And I think when we think about it in a critic, I mean, I just think rejection is like one of the top fears, period. But like, especially when folks are coming to me for, you know, self-worth work, rejection is the number one. Like, it's the number one thing that people are like, I will do anything to avoid it. But it's not actually like once you're able to actually get into the practice of like experiencing rejection and like identifying what actually is the rejection and exactly to your point, like what is the woods around it? Like, what are you making it mean about yourself? What is the story bringing up for you about things that have happened in your past versus it being like literally like it's okay if this one person doesn't like you. Yeah. You'll like you'll be okay. But I think because we have the woods around it that and also that feel uncertain and that feel impossible to kind of like dig through and get to, yeah, it makes the fear seem bigger than it is. Yeah. And there's an essence of putting so much value in other people's thoughts about us. You're we're rejecting ourselves first. And I learned that the hard way as sometimes we need to, but like when I started actually caring about myself well, it still hurts when people reject me. Don't get me wrong. I don't like it, but it doesn't seem like my world is going to end and it doesn't change my, my opinions about myself. Don't waver where 10 years ago, well, five years ago, really like maybe even three years ago, (laughs) like really honest, somebody could break up with me and I'm like, what did I do? you know, you go through the list of like, well, if I would have said this differently, or maybe if I didn't ask that, or was I too needy, or I was so selfish that one night, and we make up all these stories. And now I can be broken up with or a relationship can end. And it's like, oh, I, I don't know that that was so much about me, or and maybe it wasn't even about them. It was the fact that like, we both together didn't fit. There's nothing that I needed to change, because there's nothing wrong with me. Yeah. Before it's like, oh my God, I have so much work to do. And it's like, oh my God. But you're rejecting yourself in that sense when you're putting so much weight on other people's opinions. Absolutely. Their approval becomes more important than your authenticity. That needs to be a nice Instagram post. (laughs) When I'm with authentic people, those are the people that I like. It's not like, 
I like funny people or I like this kind of person. I like pretty people or I like small people or I like big people. It's like, I like authentic people. And I think too, like when we, you know, and this is what I coach a lot of folks around with people pleasing. It's this idea that like you're tweaking yourself to be different in every group that you're in. And it's kind of, and I'm, you know, I, you're into the Enneagram, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a two, which a lot of people pleasers are twos, but I have a three wing and my three wing is strong. Yeah. Like I, I've thought at different points, maybe I'm a three. I'm not, I'm a two, but with a three wing, which means that I'm, you know, the two part of me is the people pleaser part that I want to care about others, mm-hmm. subvert my own needs for other people. But the three is the, like, I am going to like be the best that I can be. And I'm going to be at the top in every different setting. And that a lot of that is like the shadow side is like putting on a mask mm-hmm. in every different scenario and not ever knowing who the real you is. It becomes true of people pleasing mm-hmm. behavior because you're kind of showing up as who you think people want you to be and what's going to keep other people the most comfortable. Exactly to your point, you've already rejected you. You're not even giving them a chance to reject you because that's not you. They mm-hmm. don't even know you. <laughs> Right. Obviously, I'm going to have you back because I think we're getting totally. into all of the things. <laughs> so we'll yeah. have, to have you back. What is it? Will you just shout out your Instagram, your podcast? People can get in contact with you. Yeah. So folks can, um, you can find me. I'm most active on Instagram. So I'm at Aubrey. It's spelled A-4-H-S-B-R-E-E. Aubrey. And um, you can find me, I'm on Facebook as well at Aubrey Henderson Coaching. My website is AubreyHenderson.com. And so I do offer one-on-one coaching virtually to folks literally anywhere in the world. So please do reach out about that. I offer a consult for free to just chat and see if we would be a good fit. So folks should definitely feel free to take advantage of that. So have a weekly podcast. It's called Ask Aubrey. You can find it just about anywhere that podcasts live. Yeah, I think that's about it. Yeah, so go find her because she's awesome, obviously. And I'm so glad that we did this. Like this should have been done a while ago, but I'm kind of, the timing actually is really nice. Can't wait to do some more. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Bye. Bye. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual.